welcome to Annie's Pink Chair, where we bring real, raw, relevant issues to the table from a woman's perspective with wit and wisdom. I am so excited today. I have an old friend that I met about a decade ago. Sounds so long ago, right? And his name's Eric Metaxas. And I wanna tell you a little bit about him. He is a New York Times number one author, best-selling of Martin Luther, If You Can Keep It, Bonhoeffer, Miracles, Seven Women, Seven Men, and Amazing Grace. He has written more, more than 20 or 30 children's books, including bestseller Squanto and The Miracle of Thanksgiving and Time to Sleep, My Love, illustrated by Nancy Tillman. His books have been translated into more than 20 languages. Not only a writer, he's the host of the Eric Metaxas radio show, a nationally syndicated radio program heard in more than 100 cities around the U.S. featuring in-depth interviews with a wide variety of guests. You guys, I can't even tell you, this man knows everybody. Okay, first of all, <laughs> Dick Cavett. Everybody knows who Dick Cavett is, right? <laughs> uh, David Gravity, um, Gregory, Kristen Powers, David Brooks, Peggy Nguyen, Stephen Forbes, Nia Val Vardalos, and Lecrae. Oh my gosh, Lecrae, the rapper? Are you serious? Also, Eric was invited to speak at the White House in 2012 for Barack Obama and his whole cabinet as, as a faith leader. And I am just so excited today to introduce you to my friend, Eric. How are you today? I am great. Thank you for having me. I want a chair like that. I know you do. You would look great in these colors. I mean, I see a really nice chair in back of you, though, like a striped one. I, I picked those colors. I'm a straight man, but I have crazy taste. <laughs> but that's great. Now, speaking of that, you're a fish out of water, like your new book that you have that just came out, which, by the way, I was completely mesmerized and pulled into this book. Like, I cannot tell you, like it makes me connect more to who you are and as a writer and as a person and why kind of like you tick the way that you do, which is pretty controversial in, in the realm of just normal media and sometimes, the Christian sometimes. world. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, well, dude, you are- my life, literally. Yes. From birth to age 25 when I had my Jesus moment. And I said, I got to tell that story because it's a lot of crazy stories and I'm thrilled you're enjoying it. I wanted to ask you, because I know that you wrote all these books before this, what prompted you to go back to the core of who you really are and how it all started as a writer and as a speaker and as an influential person in society? Well, um, there's no question, you know this about me, that when Jesus came into my life around 1988, um, it changed everything. And I put my life in God's hands and he has led me on this career. And in many ways, it's been tough. It's been a little less tough and last since I've, I've met you, but it, it's been tough, but God has led me and given me my career. And I've always wanted to tell the story of how I came to faith. Um, I talk about it in my miracles book a little bit. And if people go to my website, ericantaxis.com, there's a video, but I said, I really need to tell the whole story because it's an amazing story. I mean, it's a miracle. The end of the book is this insane miracle dream that where, where God came into my life literally overnight. But the dream doesn't really make sense unless you read everything leading up to it. So that when you're reading it, you're tracking just as I was tracking when I had the dream or on my 25th birthday, everything changed. And I said, I've got to tell that story. I want people to know my faith journey and in the course of writing it, it just kind of expanded because 
I, I have a strange, you know, we all have strange upbringings, but my mom is from Germany. My dad's from Greece. They met in an English class, working class upbringing, New York, Danbury, Connecticut. And then I go to Yale, which is a completely different thing. And so it all kind of, it's like a blender of crazy stories and stuff culminating in this Jesus moment, which totally changed my life. I said, I've got to tell that eventually I would have told it years ago, but I just, I was always working on another book. So that finally I got to it. I was going to ask you, what does immigrant mean to you? Because to define your parents' journey to our country, I mean, your yeah. mom, 1954, your dad, 1955, right? I mean, their story behind them of war and communism, right? Yeah. And I that's, was that's so... That's part of why I'm as radical as I am I know. my parents showed me they lived the hell of of communism or they, they saw what that was so when they came to this country they weren't just like your average american who says like hey this is great they said this is rare this goes away if you don't protect it this is something that you need to treasure and i feel like a lot of my friends growing up they didn't have that perspective because they thought this was normal but i realized this is not normal and in recent yeah. years we've been drifting badly and so I felt the need to speak up in just the way that Bonhoeffer would speak up. I mean, you can't write about these heroes and then say, well, I'm going to sit this one out. You can't sit it out, sit it out. You have to just uh, speak what you think is right and true. And of course, some people are going to get upset. But I feel like I have to speak because there's so many people hungry for understanding what is happening. And I feel like I have in some ways, as a result of my parents, I have a, a, a different view. And your parents still, you're on your dad's side, still own land in Greece, right? That's oh, listen, my relatives, <laughs> I mean, this is not distant stuff. I mean, my, my parents came over in the 50s. Uh, I first went to Germany uh, in 1971 to East Germany, which was totally communist. I write about that in the book. I went to Greece the following year with my dad. I mean, we didn't have money to kind of go back every year, but every few years, if possible. And I grew up in that world. My parents... By God's grace, I still have them with me and they still have strong accents. And that whole world was really real for me. And now I go back any chance I can get. And I've got relatives in Germany. I've got relatives in Greece and we're close. You know, these are these are the people that uh, my parents grew up with. So I'm, I'm close to them today and I'm thrilled. That that was so amazing. I was reading the part where you're uh, on your mother's side, the, the music teachers and the piano teachers. And then the you said, what is the name of the young lady that was teaching Bonhoeffer? She, oh my gosh, Clara Schumann. Yes, she was. Yes, she was. That's so funny that you bring that up. You really read this book because even I'm forgetting this stuff. It's so <laughs> wild because when I was writing about Bonhoeffer, because my family's German. I mean, we they they were upper class, wealthy, professional, and I come from more like peasant stock, you know. But it turns out that my my grandfather, uh, who I dedicate the Bonhoeffer book to, my mother's father, he was killed in the war, and I'm named for him, Eric. Um, one of his ancestors, not that far back, uh, was very musical in Dresden and had a connection with Clara Schumann, who was right. related to the composer Robert Schumann. And I thought, that rings a bell. And I realized it's the same person that Bonhoeffer's ancestors had a connection with. So the world gets to be really small. I mean, the fact that there's any connection from my family to Bonhoeffer, it really blew my mind. So I had to put it in the book. It's really amazing. I love the German background and the Greek, how it melds together. I, I am German and a little bit of French. And you mentioned something that really got my spirit just excited because I, I don't know if you know it or not, I'm half Polish. 
and my mom's family's all Polish. They, they came to America in 1901 and 1900 on my grandfather's side uh, from a little town called Ozga. And so when you said, and the Polish people fought, and I was like, that's right, because that's like, I think it's ingrained in our spirit and your background being yeah. Greek and German, yeah. having that fight for freedom to want yeah. to keep our freedom in America is very honorable. And speaking of that, I know that you're such a big voice it just even in the political realm, you know, speaking up on letting us speak what we can say without being canceled. And I've noticed, yeah. I mean, I follow your Twitter and you say some pretty controversial things. You quote a lot of people and has, has that cancel culture came after you hard? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, people can follow me. At, it's just Eric Metaxas. I just always use my name, uh, but Eric Metaxas on Twitter. And I've been knocked off of Twitter. I've been knocked off of YouTube. And I really think it's astounding that I would get knocked off because I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm simply trying to speak truth. We are living in a weird time, Annie, where we have people who don't understand American freedom behaving like the socialists or the communists and starting to decide for us what we can say and what we can't say. We must fight back, not just for our point of view, but for everybody's point of view. There is nobody in America, I don't care what your view is, should be canceled. We have free speech. These are things people died for these liberties. And it's not to be right. You can say something and be wrong. Uh, I, I think I posted something yesterday and you could just say, well, it's just my opinion. Well, people freak out, like you should be canceled even for saying this. And I thought, you know, in America, we used to say, you know, I disagree with you, but I would die, uh, I would give my life for your right to say what you said, even though I disagree right. with you. And so that's like fundamental and we're losing that. And so a lot of what I say and do is to try to help educate people like this is what America is. This is a beautiful thing. And if you want to keep it and you want to make it better, you know, you, you have to understand how it works. And so in my book, if you can keep it, I wrote about that. But, you know, on social media and stuff, I just feel an obligation to say these things. I could just have a like easier life and probably make more money if I didn't say these things. But I think life is short. We have to do what we think is right and true. We have to think about the kids, you know, uh, that we're bringing into the world or, or uh, our neighbor's kids or strangers that they're going to inherit this world. And so right. we really do have to do the right thing. We can't just kind of say, I don't want to, I don't want to be in trouble. I'll keep out of trouble because sometimes trouble comes looking for you if you're speaking truth. You know, and that is the truth. And also, I what I liked about you writing this autobiography so descriptively is the fact that you're telling the story behind who you are. And as far as like the countries that were in war and were that lost their freedoms, right? I remember that one part in the story where you wrote, I think it was it, it was either your auntie or your grandmother. The soldier came in from from Italy oh, yeah, into yeah. their house, and that was and when my dad. Your, he was your grandfather. Years your dad had a flag, right? And, and my, he my, took my it father, and I mean, my father can tell you the story now. I mean, he remembers this. He's 93. But this happened, you know, he was uh, maybe 14 or something like that. And he was, you know, skinny. And the the Italians and Germans had occupied Greece and occupied the island, Cephalonia, where he's from. And, I, you know, I've been there a million times. And we don't even think about that. The Italian soldiers, they saw them coming out of the sky to occupy their island here they are coming down in parachutes tons of them next thing you know they're coming into your village and they come to your house and they knock on the door and they're in charge and 
they came to see if, you know, there's any weapons or sort of almost to threaten you to let you know we're here now. And this Italian soldier saw a Greek flag in a vase. And he said, whose is that? And my father in Italian, because he knew a little bit of Italian, he said, mio, mine. Mio, yeah, and mio. Italian, and the Italian soldier slapped my father in the face, broke the flag and knocked him down. I mean, I can't even imagine anything like that. My, so my father told me this story my whole life. And then his grandmother, my father's grandmother, who was fluent in Italian, said to the soldier in Italian, you know, don't young people in your country, aren't they proud of their flags? Right. Like she shamed right. him, basically. He shamed him he, in Italian and he just walked out. But my father lived this. And so in America, we kind of act like, you know, everything's great. We can't even imagine somebody taking over. Right. Uh, we, have to, we have to understand what we have is really fragile. And, and if you understand what it is, you know, you'll fight for it. You'll speak up when people tell you to be quiet. You'll say, I'm not going to be quiet. Hi friends, I have a great memoir that I wrote called Fallen Out of the Sex Industry and Into the Arms of the Savior. This memoir reads like a movie. You will not be able to put it down. I also have narrated this book in my own voice. My husband recorded it. And trust me, if you listen to this on a CD player or actually driving in your car, you will not be able to stop listening to it. It is so good. And I'm not just saying that because I wrote it. You can reach and buy this on Amazon or our website, which is hookersforjesus.net. It's also available in Spanish. And when you buy this book, this memoir, you are helping educate yourself of human trafficking and also being that person that takes action and actually does something. Thank you very much. Aren't we on the edge, Eric, honestly, of someone knocking yeah. on our door? And we all know who, right? Knocking on our door saying to us, I need your guns. Just like that soldier walked in and said, we're all, do you have any weapons? Yeah. Like that, we're on that, that doorway. Yeah. We're on that knocking yeah. of that doorway. And I, I just, I, that's why I really love fish out of water. I mean, can, can you tell us what, what does fish out of water mean to you? Oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta say this. Um, first of all, the end of the story, which is that now people can give the story to a friend who's not on the same page as we are theologically. You can give this just to anybody because I wanted to write a book that you could really share with absolutely anybody, whether they're politically where where I am or theologically. You can just share it with anybody because it's a funny, crazy story. And, you know, it's just a story of my life. It's not like I made it up. Right. But at the end of it, the dream, the Jesus dream involves a fish coming out of water and it's theologically correct. It was a miracle that God spoke to me in a dream. And whenever God speaks, it's going to be theologically correct. So the idea is that this fish, people know the fish on the back of a car. They, you know, that's Jesus. The, the Greek word for fish is ichthus. So the early Christians would use yep. that symbol because it, it's a, a Greek word. They use the acronym. The word fish is an acronym. Jesus Christos, Deus, Imon, Sotir, Jesus Christ, Son of God, our wow. Savior. So in the dream, at the end of the dream, uh, there's this golden fish and it represents Christ. It sounds loopy, but when you get to this point in the book, it makes sense. So Jesus is the fish out of water. Most of us feel like we're the fish out of water in life. We don't fit in or whatever. And that was my story over and over and over again. I felt that right in the beginning because my mother's German, so we didn't speak Greek at home. So I'm hanging out with the, all the Greek kids in the Greek church and Greek school, and they all spoke Greek at home and we didn't. We spoke English at home because my mother's German and my father's Greek. So right. I never quite fit in. 
And that kind of follows me through my life that wherever I go, I don't quite fit in. I'm trying, trying, trying to fit in. And I think a lot of people feel that. But at the end of the book, Jesus becomes the fish out of water. And it it works symbolically. It's an amazing thing because obviously I didn't make it up. God spoke to me in this vision, in this dream that I had, and it changed everything. And theologically, Jesus comes from where he is comfortable, where he belongs, which is heaven, to this earth. And what happens when he comes here? He comes here to die so right. that we can go back with him. And that's what happens in the dream. The fish comes out of water. What happens if a fish goes out of water? It dies. So it's really, um, there, there's just a lot there. But the story of my life, it's story after story. You know, a lot of them are just really funny, crazy stories. Some of them are nuts. And I, I didn't exaggerate a syllable. Everything is exactly, you know, I'm very fussy about that. But the end of it is how God showed me what is the meaning of life by coming into my life with Jesus. And I, up to that point, I didn't really believe, you know, having gone to Yale, Yale's a very secular, uh, yes. you know, EC kind of, you know, woke kind of universe, even when I was there in the, in the 80s. And their attitude is like, we don't talk about the meaning of life. That's kind of like, you know, that's for people in flyover but country. That's I, I want to ask you, yeah. you would know this, like, what is the background of Yale, though? How did Yale start? Well, Yale was a total, <laughs> all the Ivy Leagues, except for Cornell, every one of them was totally Christian. That's right. Christian. And they drifted over the years. And that's a whole story. But really, Yale has been drifting dramatically since about the 1920s. William F. Buckley wrote his famous book. I probably got a copy right here someplace called God and Man at Yale. Now, Buckley was writing this about the Yale of the late 40s. He was there in the late 40s. And in the late 40s, it was already a lot of communist, uh, atheist influences. So he's writing about that. So imagine from the late 40s, I'm there in the 80s, and it was dramatically moved on, similar and worse, and it keeps getting worse. And so all of these schools have been taken over by culturally Marxist worldviews. They don't know yes. it. They think it's good, it's wow. woke, whatever. It is wow. wrong, wow. it is bad, it is, it's certainly atheist. I mean, anything woke or it's culturally Marxist, so it's totally atheist. You push God out of the picture. And they have really, uh, they've just gone in that direction like a lot of the culture has. But the, these places are the forefronts of it. And that's when I first noticed it. Here I come from this really traditional background. My parents were, you know, hardworking. We love this country. So to go to a place like Yale, again, I felt like a fish out of water because I thought, what, what is this? Like these cultural elites, they think differently than the way I right. was raised. Before you know it, I've drunk the Kool-Aid and I kind of become more like that than not which leads me to be so confused that eventually I moved back in with my parents, which is a bummer. And um, in, the in the middle of that tough time, that's when God could reach me because I was suffering and I was open to what's the meaning of life. So that's the subtitle of the book. It's, 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 the, it's called Fish Out of Water, A Search for the Meaning of Life, because that's what's going on in the background of the story. What, what I noticed too, Eric, with you, you are a plethora of knowledge. You love to unwrap mysteries and learn things. And because of that, so much comes out of you. All those books, you know, your opinion, everything you've seen in your life. And it, it really, really blessed me. Just, you know, you actually inspired me because I have three books that I'm working on right now. <laughs> I know it's like I, I, haven't run, I haven't written a new book in about five years. So I really got inspired by your, your eagerness and hunger to, to learn and to teach people about what life is really about with, with other people's views, obviously, too. Writing autobiographies of other people, biographies of people that you admire, like Bonhoeffer, right? I was going to ask you something because 
uh, Mein Kampf. Uh, obviously, you've read it, right? I was watching. I read it an in, episode. in college. I'll never forget it because yeah. it was a course that I took, and you're like, I'm reading this wicked, wicked sick yeah. book called Mein Kampf <laughs> by Adolf Hitler. But it's right. kind of good to know what the enemy is writing about, right? Exactly. So I, I it's so crazy because I watched The Waltons. Maybe I'm so old fashioned, but it reminds me when I was a very little girl and all the TV shows you were watching, I was watching them too. I'm not the same age. I'm just, I'm a little younger than you. I was born in 67, but all those toys you talked about, like the, the lawnmower with the little popcorn thing. Oh yeah. I Close had, enough. We had all that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, so they were doing this episode where John Boy, which is, it's based on a true story, Spencer Mountain, right? The, the author, he's reading the story about writing a report on Mein Kampf and how Hitler wants to take over the world. And his yeah. whole town, the Waltons, and, and their little town below the, the mountain itself, tried to black like blackball his article. And I, I thought that was, and I, I just saw it like li literally three days ago. I thought that was so, uh, just so reminding us of the time that we're in right now, that the cancel yeah. culture. And all he wanted to do, just like what you want to do is reveal truth and to educate people is to tell people, hey, this guy is actually trying to take over the world with dict with this dictatorship. You know, basically, you know, the communism. Well, you, you understand, or whatever Annie, else. that people, yeah. people are cool with like saying, oh, yeah, we know Hitler's bad. He's bad. Well, what about today? What's bad today? And what are the parallels? When somebody tells you you have to take the vaccine and you have to get a vaccine passport unless you can't, right. you can't shop in that store, you can't go to a sporting goods event, you, a sporting uh, event, you have to go, wait a second, wait a second. All of this stuff starts for the right reasons. And then the government gets more and more power. They'll take away your guns. They take away your ability to speak freely. They cancel you. They've knocked me off YouTube. I got to get back on. They knock you off Twitter. They get... This is lunacy. We need to see the parallels. And a lot of people who read my Bonhoeffer book see the parallels. So like, this is amazing. It's exactly what was happening back then. We have to learn from history and we have to understand that even though somebody says we're anti-fascist, Antifa, they say they're anti-fascist, they are behaving like perfect fascists. And we have exactly. to be wise because enemy <laughs> is not going to come back in the same way. He's going to, you know, wear different clothing and pretend to be the opposite. We really have to be aware. And that's, you know, a good reason that I do my radio program and the TV and all that. I, I just want to help people see what's happening. You know, and it's it's funny to note that Antifa.com goes to the White House now. Who would have thought? We, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of weird. We know that that's not what we are, but it, although it's being directed there because people are just still asleep and, and the woke. And the last thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, I know the worldliness comes in. Everyone's learning about being woke and kind to everyone. And it's funny that the world is trying to teach what Jesus already stated to love one another. Right. Don't you find that just super? Well, but just no, like, but I mean, there's only the, the, the hypocrisy. The, the Bible says the Bible says that, you know, Satan comes as an angel of light. He's not going to say, I'm here to teach you how to be bad. He's going to teach right. you how to be bad, but he's going to call it good. And that's exactly what we have. They say, like, we're against racism. Every Christian is against racism because the Bible tells us we're all equal in God's eyes. If you're an yes. atheist Marxist, some woke person, where do you even get the idea that racism is wrong? Please tell me, based on a godless universe, where you get that idea, except you want to impose it. We don't want to impose it. We know it's right, and we want to obey God and love our neighbors. And so... They're basically cannibalizing 
what they like from from religion, but they've completely subverted it and they're using, you know, nasty tactics to enforce it. So it's, it's just really gross because it is a lie. It's like taking parts of the truth and sort of, you know, creating this Frankenstein monster of everything I want, but it doesn't work organically. The Bible and the truth of God works organically. And it says that we're supposed to even love our enemies, much less people that look different than we are. And so we have to speak up because a lot of people are being deceived right now. And I don't want to be one of those voices that says nothing just to kind of keep my head out of, you know, to, to keep from getting shot at. I think that, you know, if, uh, if I get shot or if I get shot metaphorically, that's God's business. My job is to obey him and to, to, to speak what I think he has me to say. And, you know, I do it uh, in the book Fish Out of Water that we're talking about. That's more of a fun book. But in a lot of the stuff that I do on Twitter and, and obviously on my radio program, I really feel a burden because people are getting timid. And you cannot be timid. The more people get timid, the tougher it gets to speak and the worse it gets. So we really have to be loud and proud about God's truth. Absolutely. And you know what, Eric, I just want to thank you. And also I wanted to note that I remember speaking out against trafficking before it was popular. And yep. now it's like a woke term. Oh, they're being trafficked. And right. nobody right. wanted to hear it in the very beginning. But I know that what I need to speak needs to continue and I'm actually doing little anecdotes on my Instagram and doing this show, of course, but I, I love the fact that you will not stay silent and that when you go to bed at night, you know, especially with everything you say and you communicate off social media and what you write, you can be at peace because like you said, you know you need to say something. And you, you've inspired me today, even to another level, to be more honest and truthful about what I think is right and what I feel according to my Christian beliefs. So I wanna thank you for coming on today to the pink chair. Uh, my you're privilege. always Anytime. welcome. Anytime, yeah, I'd love to come back and we can just keep going because it's a joy to talk to you, Annie. Thank you for having yes, me. Yes, next time you come, we'll be in the studio. No more COVID games, right? I'll, We're done with yes. our little COVID games. So right. Eric, man, God bless you. And everyone, if you need to get a hold of Eric, Eric, what's your website and for your book too? EricMetaxas.com. You got to spell it right. EricMetaxas.com. On Twitter, I'm Eric Metaxas. Facebook, Parlor, Gab. Uh, and my radio program is The Eric Metaxas Show. And we're on YouTube and on Rumble. All the safe stuff has to go on YouTube and all the dangerous stuff goes on Rumble. <laughs> of course it does. What about BitChute? <laughs> Don't forget yeah, that you. Yeah, not yet. We'll get there too. Yeah. So you guys, that's on the screen right now. And thank you, Eric, so much. And we'll see you soon on The Pink Chair. Hi, friends. It's Annie Lobert from Annie's Pink Chair. And I am actually on location at our nonprofit ministry called The Destiny House. And do you feel and see the presence that's going on here, the peace, the calmness, the comfort, the beautiful grass, the trees. This is what each woman comes to when she enters our Destiny House program for sex trafficking victims. I'm Nikki, I'm the Education Outreach Coordinator. Um, I've seen girls come in here and just broken, just in need of something. And we give them a gift box when they first arrive, and then the look on their face, because their traffickers taken everything from them, the look on their face is just amazing and precious. 
and just watching them grow in Christ throughout their journey here is incredible. Would you please consider partnering with us monthly or just send us a one-time donation? Just go to our website at hookersforjesus.net and click on donate. And listen, your donation goes to a good cause and it's tax deductible. Thank you so much. Thank you.